Welcome back, Oscar fans. This is Jake. You're listening to the OCC, the Oscar category, completest. One of the categories that I'm usually tracking by now is the live short action category because many of these films tend to premiere at festivals in the spring, festivals like Tribeca, South by Southwest. But of course, this year, many of these in-person festivals are canceled due to COVID-19. Despite this, the industry's been finding new innovative ways to get this content out in the world and make sure that it can still be seen. And starting today, Amazon Prime is posting a selection of the shorts as well as a few features that were scheduled to play South by Southwest. You can view these for free starting today for the next 10 days on Amazon.com. You don't even need a Prime sponsorship to do it. Now, I've had a chance to see a number of these shorts, and there's some really interesting stuff. There's a handful of documentaries One called Mizuko Waterchild really stood out to me. It's a woman documenting her abortion. There were also documentaries Lions in the Corner follows a fight club that's meant as an outlet for people growing up in troubled neighborhoods. No Crying at the Dinner Table is an intimate family portrait, kind of highlighting some some cultural norms around showing emotion and what you share within your family. And then there's a handful of narrative shorts that will be available on Amazon that I've seen that I liked. One called Single, about a woman with one arm who's set up on a blind date. Another called Broken Bird, about a young girl who's half black, half Jewish, who's trying to invite her black father to her bat mitzvah. But arguably my favorite thing that I've seen this year, certainly toward the top, is a short film called Reminiscences of the Green Revolution which follows a group of young revolutionaries during the 2001 second EDSA revolution in the Philippines. The youngest member of of this teenage environmental activist group called the Green Gorillas narrates the last day of his life and his experiences with the team. I found it to be masterful, a story that's incredibly engaging and well told. And I'm thrilled now to be joined by the director of Reminiscence of the Green Revolution, Dean Colin Marcial. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you doing, Jake? I'm good. Thank you uh, for taking the time to speak with me. This is definitely one of my favorite things that I've watched in 2020. This is set against the the second EDSA revolution of the early thousands in the Philippines. What about this time period and event interested you as the backdrop for your story? Um, Well, I I started writing the script around the time I think Trump was getting inaugurated. And I had a lot of really strong feelings then, but I didn't really know how to contextualize it like the the macro like side of it so i was always really fascinated by this period in history just from reading up on on philippine x history and i wanted to set something there because i i thought it was something that i could understand more with like the passage of time and and then try to kind of project everything i was feeling you know, presently that I really couldn't grapple with and understand because it's all so new. What, what spurred it on was I wanted to tell the story that, that was about today. It was, you know, but like what, what led us to like, you know, today, and today was that point, like 2017. And then trying to see that those same feelings mirrored 15 years ago. And why I chose that point in history is it's kind of like the midpoint between when the dictator Ferdinand Marcos in the Philippines had been removed from power, you know, through a, a people's revolution, which gave people a lot of hope. And then in 2001, when they had a similar revolution that just made everybody cynical and arguably may have, you know, led to the election of uh, Rodrigo Duterte 
you know, as a result of those like 15 years. So uh, I want to tell the story of like 30 years in one night, which was kind of this really like ambitious like idea. And I chose this time because it seemed like a really good midpoint for foreshadowing what was going to happen. And and I, I always thought about it as like not a period piece necessarily because, you know, the narrator of the film is narrating from the present day. So in that sense, it's kind of is like a 2018, 2019 movie. Yeah, it's really interesting because it's obviously it's a highly political context. But the story, at least as I kind of interpreted it, is really more about the interpersonal relationships within this activist group. And then obviously you've you've chosen to infuse kind of a supernatural element, I guess, as well. I'm, I'm just really interested to hear kind of about those choices and how, how this script came together. The idea of setting it around these interpersonal you know, kind of like love triangle, but kind of breakfast clubby sort of dynamic. You know, it kind of came on me reflecting on my own experiences when I was 21 or 22. And, you know, I wasn't really in activism scenes, environmental activism scenes until like more recently, but I tried to channel the same sort of energy that we had kind of coming out of film school with my closest friends trying to start this, you know, like cinematic revolution and trying to kind of bring forward all these like radical ideas within our groups and the fallout of that and I thought that that was like the most interesting parts about these types of movements when you really look at them and and the most interesting things you know the things that spoke to me was just just being with like a group of your really close friends and you all believe in this like you all believe in this like one thing and you, you guys want to bring that one thing forward. But sometimes, like, the idea just, like, is a lot stronger than, you know, than, than your friendships could weather. Or, you know, like, maybe it reveals, like, all of the all of the holes, like, in those, like, relationships. And that's, and that's part of the reason why there is this supernatural bent to it. Uh, I was really thinking a lot about like a big inspiration for me was um, was in Jules and Jim when you have this narrator narrating the story from the future so that there's this kind of dispassionate, yeah, reminiscing about it. And that really like appealed to me because it kind of gave you that, it gave like the perspective of, you know, talking about your old friends and, uh, you know, like year, you know, maybe if you guys get together like years later and you're wondering whatever happened to these like, you know, these kids you used to hang out with. And there was like something to that. And I wanted to be much more about than just like their entanglement and, you know, their ideas, but just about all this time that passes, like after all this stuff happens. I, it, I've just found it so interesting. Your 2017 film too, the uh, Manila Death Squad, that's obviously in the Philippines. You mentioned Duarte and that's sort of very directly focused on extrajudicial killings. Do you see yourself as somebody who's going to be I guess in the future, like really drawn toward political filmmaking, or is this more just a situation where you have specific stories you want to tell and these um, backgrounds make sense? Somebody told me once when they were, they were passing on a script that, that basically their higher ups thought that it was like too political. And he thought that was ridiculous because he believed that every film was political. And, and I kind of subscribe, I started subscribing to that idea that whether, you know, whether you're making, you know, it's like whether you're making like a, a movie that, I don't know, like endorses war or violence or something like that, you know, in the package of 
like the most like harmless uh you know the harmless like cartoon or whether you're you know you're kind of staying on the more conservative or reactionary end of of drama or comedy and how you view the issues that we're trying to engage with today you know there is a political slant to every film whether they know it or not and i think i'm just trying to be conscious of that because i think it is really easy to you know not to not question these like cinematic values that have you know pervaded like the american landscape i always thought that it was you know with a couple of like exceptions that oftentimes Hollywood at large is actually a lot more conservative than they make it out to be because they kind of like reinforce these, uh, you know, these like much more like right of center, like values, like most of the time. I think whether they're conscious of that or not, but you know, it's like, even if you're in comedy or something like that and who your, who your targets are at and how you present, like, you know, like who the butt of a joke is like, there is an edge of politicism to that. I think it's actually like really like silly to think that you could you could like make a public statement and be kind of apolitical about it. Yeah, yeah. that's and there are very few statements that are actually like when you boil right down to it, have like no political leanings like whatsoever. Um and so I'm just trying to be more conscious of that and then just have that carry over into my my work and you know, just the way I approach my work. Yeah, no, that's totally fair. And I guess, like, in, t- in the context of what, like, you know, a layman who's not thinking necessarily about, like, the broader implications of, you know, just, I guess, general society, it's, like, news stories or something that would be, like, directly associated with politics to, like, your average bear have sort of, it seems like, at least for your last couple of films, been what you've centered it around, but it sounds like you wouldn't necessarily in the future be wedded to that even if you're, like, communicating an idea. I think that, uh, yeah, I definitely want to explore, you know, different different forms and different genres, uh, you know, and different stories to try and communicate these ideas. I think, you know, like, the themes of, of my work and, you know, like, everything that I put in it, I think will just be, like, subtly in there regardless. Yeah. And I've been watching yeah. a lot of um, Bong Joon-ho recently, and it's crazy how many things kind of keep coming back in his movies, just, like, a big rock or like a line about this like a barking dog or like whatever it's really <clears throat> i think there's a certain you know to a certain extent you really can't help like to be like drawn to like whatever you're drawn into but i guess like an example of i mean actually like parasite's like a great example of movie politics where i think the reason people like it and why it's like such a hit uh domestically and abroad is um is because it it, it speaks to this like political you know this really radical political philosophy that people align with i think like whether they know they're watching something that is like really politically charged or not the kind of genius of it is that they take in the ideas like anyway like, and i think that that's something that entertainment can do uh and and you know like uh and literature can do that politics can't yeah i think that's a great point that's really interesting as far as kind of like the stylism the stylism of this film i took away rich colors music that really fills the room you obviously kind of start with this extended one take um establishing the group dynamics how would you describe the tone that you were going for mm, it's it's really hard honestly because like i feel like even until we got to the end of the, the editing process like we're still it was evolving every day I think I tried to come at making the movie from 
like this really open-hearted place where, you know, I'm just going to wear those influences and, you know, the things that I'm really passionate about on my sleeve and just try to be forthcoming about them instead of putting it behind all of these, you know, like layers and layers of like visuals and like aesthetics, like in style. I, I really tried to, I thought about it as like, you know, you're cooking like a really simple meal with really, really great ingredients, but there's only like 10 of them. And, you know, there's definitely a little bit more than 10 ingredients in here, but I think more than anything, I really wanted to like capture, capture the energy of all the people who worked on it and all the, you know, like all the performers and all these like technicians to just like conjure up that magic and make you feel like you were there. And then every choice, I think, from placing the perspective of the camera or the sound and the music was to communicate this idea that it's like you're almost like in the mind of this narrator and the movie that you're watching is, you know, is, is kind of what he's narrating. It's what he's bringing up to you. It's like somebody telling you a story like in a bar somewhere and you're kind of just like picturing it like happen and the way a story jumps around and, you know, sometimes you kind of start at the end and then go back to like the beginning. It was like really hard to nail because it was, it was something that we really didn't have like any analogs for. It was just our process for it was like, you know, we'll, we'll feel it out. And then when it feels right, it's going to feel right. But I think that's the major difference between my last film and this one was I just tried to get, you know, try to get everything, every frame, line, everything perfect in like the last movie. And then this one is really just about letting go and seeing what happens and trying to plan for spontaneity, if that makes any sense. Yeah, that does make sense. You know, I'm interested in hearing a little bit about, so this film premiered at Toronto International Film Festival, um, was obviously set to make its US premiere at South by. What is that experience like, just bringing a film to a major film festival and, like, watching your film and the reaction to it? Well, it was, uh, first of all, it was just, like, a a lifelong dream <laughs> to, like, fulfilled to, to screen the film at Toronto and then to be able to be selected by South By. I know that that is, it, it, it didn't come easy. In fact, we'd been rejected by, we'd rejected by, like, a whole year's worth of film festivals, like, before that, wow. before... I think Toronto was probably one of the last festivals we like applied to. And I didn't at that point, just because we'd just been rejected up and down for about a year or so, I wasn't really expecting, I wasn't really expecting to get in, but when we did, it was, I I remember I like, I I jumped up and like threw my phone and like, you know, like I can believe it. It was like a really special thing for me because I think out of any movie that I'd ever really made, this one was the most personal is the one that was where I was like really going out on a limb with, with sharing so much of, um, you know, like sharing so much of like how I felt. And so it was really special, like in that way, you know, I, I, we filmed the movie at my grandma's house, like a couple of weeks after my dad passed away. And, and, and I think that, that, that spirit is definitely like a part of the film and like that melancholy and, nostalgia is is baked into what we were feeling so it, it felt like this you know i wanted to you know it was, it was great to share with like everybody who'd worked on it because especially from for a lot of the actors and the production crew you know they they get they see a lot of american films and, and they don't often see 
the inverse of that. You don't often see, they don't see themselves like on screen. And I think for South by and Toronto to really champion this film, you know, they both programmed it in shorts program one. It was supposed to open the shorts block at South by and to foreground these issues and, and, you know, this country's visibility, especially like in, you know, late 2019, early 2020, I think is a really powerful statement about showcasing like these stories and, and contextualizing them for people. Because, you know, like you, these are, you know, the, these are the, like the, the gatekeepers and the institutions that, that really highlight like this like kind of up and coming work. So, you know, like after, you know, having, having a little party, like over the phone with it, with like everyone, you know, we actually almost didn't make it to the premiere of the film at TIFF because uh, I lost my passport like right before. Oh my God. We literally like the day before for Toronto and yeah. And my girlfriend had to, drive up to you know drive up to like binghamton or something to go meet our composer and we like hightailed it to the premiere and i think we were about like i think we were like 10 minutes into the program and we made it right in time for our film to screen so it was really it was really an adventure i mean i didn't sleep like at all and i think i think we like slept until like 4 p.m like the next day you know we've been traveling like all day and all night but it was really like I had that kind of like exhilarating like physical experience of being at this really crazy festival for the first time and you know with with South by Southwest like I'd been there before as a producer I had a film called Burma that's retitled All That I Am um, in 2013 that I produced there and so to come back you know as a director in this different context seven years later was going to be really special for me and I was totally heartbroken when they ended up canceling the festival uh but totally like understood you know I I understood what those fears were like at the time they had to do for like the safety of everyone I'd say that I'm really I'm really like amazed at like the efforts that they've put into making sure that these films weren't forgotten that they were you know like visible especially like the short films I think they're offering us opportunities for like exposure and showcasing our films that, that that may not have happened if we had just like screened at this festival. It doesn't replace that in-person experience, but um, you know, like, I think we're going to face like a lot of like new uh, new paradigms and how to how to screen these films. Yeah, I have two questions about about that actually. One is obviously you you did make the choice to participate in the in the Amazon film collection. Um, so this is available to stream free the next 10 days. Um, I've heard a range of feelings expressed by South by Southwest filmmakers as, as whether to make that work available. So I'm curious to hear about your decision to make your film uh, available on Amazon and then also any recommendations you have for listeners of, of maybe other shorts or features playing as part of this that, that you think they should check out. Sure. Um, let's say you, so, so the first part of your question, what, you know, what went into you know, the decision-making between going with, like, Amazon. I think, on the whole, it's just, like, a lot more advantageous of a deal for, like, the shorts filmmakers. Um, the shorts market is incredibly slim and tough, and, and I think it's, like, outside of, you know, it's, like, in North America, the outlets to be able to, you know, to, to buy and sell shorts 
you know, are pretty small. Most of licensing and and distribution is is usually done like abroad, like in France or um, in the UK. So if you're a short, it's kind of like a no-brainer to to license like the film, especially because they're offering, you know, for MailChimp, it was a non-exclusive license and for Amazon it was, it was a screening fee. Yeah, as a short filmmaker, you're kind of like in a different boat. You're you're exhibiting on a platform that makes you a lot more visible uh, in terms of publicity power, in terms of like getting a platform to uh, to screen your film. Like that is certainly like easier. But I can totally understand that for shorts, like their distribution status really matters. You know, even at festivals, like screening and distribution statuses aren't that essential to you know, the programming of a film. But if you have a film that was set to make its world premiere, uh, you're relying on screening hype and distribution from playing that festival. The risks are just like a lot bigger. You're spoiling an online premiere, which it counts towards because it's a screening and because it's like a screening in the U.S. Um, it definitely counts towards um, an online premiere for... Uh, so, you know, obviously we're in uncharted waters, but a lot of those rules still apply in the wake of uh, COVID. And, you know, I, I, I hope that, I hope that there's, I hope that there's a way to have these films like be seen, um, you know, in a proper festival context and, and that they could get some form of distribution. I think it's going to be a problem for indie film distribution going forward in general. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I, I could see you know, if I was like a feature film, I would definitely have a lot more reservations. And I probably wouldn't, I probably like wouldn't take the deal because from a distribution, from a, distrib- uh, a distribution standpoint, there's just like too much to lose. Mm-hmm. I was curious if you have any other recommendations uh, for viewers of shorts or, or features that are playing as part of this Amazon program that they should check out after they watch Reminiscence of the Green Revolution. Yeah, let me wait for this ambulance to pass, and I'll um, I'll, I'll give you a couple of. Uh... It's got a lot of s- subtext to it. The... Yeah, I know, and this is like kind of the defining, like the kind of like the defining like sound. I think. Oh, right, I think that's it. Um, let's see what movies with like or what uh, shorts and fe- so I haven't seen any of the features actually so i'm probably gonna see all of them yeah um uh because they're mostly from the international uh they're mostly from the international side from uh, and then from the short side i think my favorite ones are probably dirty by matt matthew pacini um just really i mean really like incredible small story of um of two people coming of age you know obviously (laughs) it, it appeals to my uh it appeals to like my own sensibilities. There's another movie that I'm really looking forward to called Run On that my friend Lizzie produced. Casey Wilson's movie, Daddy-O. Also, like I'm really uh, looking forward to. And, oh, and, and Vert, because Nick Frost is in it. I really like him. But yeah, like I'm, it's like a, it's like a really strong lineup, I think. And, uh, and I'm really like, um, I'm super psyched that a platform this, powerful is pushing these shorts because they're really and especially south by southwest it's always been kind of like artistically on on the vanguard of you know of of american cinema 
um, especially of, of programming diverse new voices. And so for, you know, for like a giant company like Amazon to really like back these really anarchic and radical visions is, uh, is really going to be exciting. And um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to next week and, and, and seeing, and seeing that, that prime logo <laughs> open up, open up our, our crazy shorts. Yeah, well, congratulations on what I feel is really masterful, really interesting film, um, and best of luck uh, moving forward. Thanks so much, Jake. Really appreciate you having me.